Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters. That's the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined, of course, by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And today is Literature Wednesday. We are wrapping up our study through this awesome book, Mere Christendom by Pastor Douglas Wilson. And this is it. We are in the final chapters of this book today. We are reading chapters 16, 17, and 19. We're not actually reading all the chapters in this book. Um, we've gotten through a large chunk of them, but there are so many more. I think more. we kind of did that with the last book as well. Yeah, there are very few books we've gotten all the way through and we've read all the, all the chapters for. So um, they're out there, some of them. Uh, some of them have been that way, but this one is, unfortunately, because there's so much, this is not that way. Um, but uh, you can always get your own copy, and we always encourage that. Get your own copy, and I'm adjusting my mic here. There we go. And read through it yourself. Um, but before we get into talking about all the things, what are we... Dude, I literally just blanked on what we're talking about today, because we're talking about... There's so many different... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we're talking about... Um, read through the chapter headers. Oh, man. I'm not going to read through the chapter headers because that'll just give stuff away. This is going to be epic because we're talking a lot about civil government. We're talking about revival. We're talking about reformation. And we're talking about hope and understanding that society will be transformed. Mm -hmm. It's not a question of, you know, will it be transformed? But when will it be transformed? So... This is going to be a very encouraging episode. Uh, but before we get into all that, we have to talk about our verse of the week, which is what we do every single episode. And Wednesdays means that Jacob handles that particular chunk. So take it away. Yeah, and our verse this week is found in Second Peter uh, verses. Sorry, Second Peter chapter three verses nine through ten, and they say, "The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise." As someone understands slowness, instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a war. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And again, that was Second Peter chapter three, verses nine through ten. And as I always do. I want to go over a few context things and move around to different verses, try and give this a little bit more understanding. And especially with this heavens disappearing um, and specifically what the wording that we find in uh, verse 11, verse 11 of second Peter says, therefore, since all things will be dissolved, what matter, what manner of persons ought you be Ought to be in holy conduct and godliness. Look, uh, sorry, and that was the end of verse eleven. Um, but what I'm kind of speaking about is this coming like a thief in the night. And oh, yes, there it is. There it is. At the very end of verse nine, I think it is. No, no, this is this is ver in verse ten. Uh, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, as a thief in the night. Um, so, kind of speaking about. This is coming quick, um, and verse 11 continues on talking about what kind of person will you be? Make sure you, you understand the content of your character and make sure that the what you do is godly, because 
any day now, anything. God could come like a thief in the night. Um, so be ready for that. And I think I'll move on to verse 13, um, where this question was just laid out in verse 11 and verse 12, talking about what's, what is this conduct? And verse 13 kind of answers that. Uh, verse 13 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, us, Bruce and I, saw, talking a lot about before what the he- new heavens and new earth are, is we, today, are in the new heavens and the new earth. We're looking forward to when righteousness will dwell in these new heavens and new earth, where these new heavens and earth will be filled with God's righteousness. But understanding that, you know, we have to understand you never know in which you're going to die, right? When God will come like a thief in the night, you don't know when that new culture is coming. It's slow, but it's, it's rapidly will be there. Uh, I think I also want to move over to um, Revelation 3, verse 3. Uh, and it says, Remember, therefore, how you, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Therefore if, therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and will not know what hour I will come upon you. So just being wary and understanding that this, we have got to start working and building this culture. It's not good enough, I think, what, how we normally understand this, right, is we never know in which God might come back to judge the earth, right? First of all, God came and judged the earth in 70 AD. That was, that was the God's judgment. That was what it was speaking about. So we're looking forward now to which God will restore, finally restore the earth. God restored the earth when he died. Well, now we're looking forward to when God will finally, fully restore, restore the earth. Um, yeah. But I think with this, we have to also understand is that it's not just our own personal sanctification that we have to worry about, but it's the world. We have to be working. It's not good enough for us to just say, oh, I'm in right standing with God personally. No, you, you got to make sure that all that you're doing in all the earth, right? You might be personally in your sin, but if you're not doing your job as unto, unto the Lord, that's an issue. That's an also another sin issue that we need to understand is, is a problem, right? And those types of things need to be taken care of quickly because you never know. All right. So I think that's, that's my uh, verse commentary, if you will. Cool. Cool, cool. So, um, a lot of those ideas, you know, we've been talking about in this verse, um, it can be a very controversial passage, but additionally, like many parts of the Bible, it can be confusing. It can, um, be something that unfortunately results in a lot of doom and gloom. And so when we study passages like this, none of us claim to completely and fully understand it, but, Um, What we do understand, especially from reading all of scripture in context, is that Christ is king over everything. And that's why when we were going through Paradise uh, Restored by David Chilton, one of the biggest themes he stressed was this idea of hope, right? Revelation is not a book of terror to, in many ways, it's like the civil government is not a book of terror to, to, 
uh, to people who are good and righteous. It, it is a book of hope, right? Um, and so same passage here, the uh, emphasis many of our modern churches place on this passage is on the terror and look what's being burnt up and look, it's, it's gone. The earth is going to be burnt up, right? What they don't understand is what is what actually is going to be burnt up, right? Because remember the comparison here is to the flood. Well, what got destroyed in the flood, not the earth, but the society on the earth, the earth is still here around us. We're living in an earth with trees and animals and plants and flowers and everything's, everything's fine, <laughs> right? Fallen, sure. Okay. But it didn't get annihilated and didn't completely reboot. But what did have to get rebooted? Society, right? And the evil of the old society was wiped out. That's the same way with this fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. The evil of our present society is being wiped out out. So, and it's the day of the Lord. If you read later in the Peter passage, it's the day of the Lord that kicked off these events across the whole world. So anyways, the day of the day of the Lord, Jake and I were talking about that in the beginning of the, um, the beginning of the, uh, pre-show we were talking about some of this. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things we were trying to discuss as we studied through this passage was, well, what does this day of the Lord language mean? This comes up a lot, means a lot of different things. It was used in several different contexts, but what does it mean here? And yeah. so we're, we're still in the process of working out a lot of those details, but from what we could surmise, there was the day of the Lord that occurred in 70 AD. There were also several other day of the Lords that happened uh, when God brought judgment on Israel or when God brought judgment on Israel's enemies. Um, this is not nearly as straightforward as, the the judgment that will occur in the future. So anyways, lots to discuss there. So thanks for your breakdown, Jake. Um, I'd like to jump right into this uh, and discuss some of the chapters. We are tonight going to be discussing, um, uh, let's see, chapter, oh, I can go on the second page of the, of the uh, chapter list here. Nice, because we're at the end. We're discussing chapter 16, chapter 17, and chapter 19. Chapter 16 is uh, courage and civil disobedience. Chapter 17 is preaching and prayer. And then chapter 19 is inevitability. And that one we're going to discuss together at the end. And that's going to be exciting. Um, but I want to start with chapter 16, talking about courage and civil disobedience. Buckle up. You can see where this is going. <laughs> Maybe this is the, if we were still on YouTube, this is probably the episode that would get torn down, <laughs> uh, ripped to shreds. Um, which, by the way, you may have noticed we started posting some YouTube stuff. We are posting short clips on YouTube now. So um, we've just come to realize that, unfortunately, not enough people, <clears throat> the large core of you that follow us on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, at least, are, are uh, willing to follow us to pro-First Amendment platforms. Uh, that actually care about your freedoms. But unfortunately, a lot of people, the majority of people in America today are still duped into thinking YouTube is, you know, just, oh, it's just another platform out there. They don't realize how bad it is, um, how socialist and, and communist it is. So, um, so that's, that's still a thing. And so <laughs> we're posting shorter clips in the hopes of drawing more people out of YouTube and into a pro First Amendment platform. So um, but anyways, let, let's talk about all of that, what we are engaging in there is a little bit of civil disobedience, right? There's censorship from the federal government that is wrong. 
<clears throat> and it's wrong for a reason because there's a higher standard that the civil government is held to that they're not following, which means they're wrong. They're not right in all cases, right? And so when that happens, civil disobedience in a right manner is biblical. And so we're going to discuss what that looks like and what that means. Stick around. Please don't persecute us yet. <laughs> Page 213, quote, uh, We cannot move out of this dilapidated house in order to go build a new one. No, it must be a remodel project. The house is run down, so we must fix it up. Not only so, but we have to do this while the house is also on fire. And at the same time, many of the other residents like it just the way it is and are fighting us tooth and nail. All this means that we have to have a robust theology of resistance. And so what he's comparing and contrasting here is <clears throat> our present predicament with the predicament of the founders of America and the, the early pilgrims, right? And the Puritans and, and the other culture builders of yesteryear, <laughs> right? They were facing persecutions in England. And so they went to Holland and in Holland, the culture there wasn't persecuting them, but it was like our culture today. It was a very, very bad influence on them. And they feared that their children would grow up to be just like the people around them. Sound familiar? So they left Holland, weren't being persecuted, but it was a bad culture to stay in, much like America today. Ha ha ha, yay. Um, and so they came here where they could create a new culture, a new nation under God. Unfortunately, we don't have that option today, <laughs> right? There, there aren't a, there's not a brand new land that's been discovered, a new world where we can build a Christian society. Nope. God hasn't given us that opportunity. And so what are we supposed to do? We're still supposed to build Christian societies. What do we do? Well, we got to fix the house we're in. We got to work where God has put us. So, um, that takes resistance, right? Because you're resisting an entire culture and the civil government of that culture. Page 214, quote, but wait, doesn't the Bible say that we must do whatever they say we must do? Cakes, flowers, incense to Caesar, the works. <laughs> well, no, Acts 5, 29. Um, move over to page 215, quote, this is what we might call a jailbreak. This, uh, he one through Acts, uh, a couple passages in Acts, Acts 12, Acts uh, 5, um, 1 Peter 2, of instances of civil disobedience on the part of the apostles, and particularly one where Peter had uh, actually broken out of jail, right? And it was the angels that broke him out of jail, right? Quote, this was what we might call a jailbreak, and it was not just a bit of innocent fun. The guards involved were executed for negligence that they had not been guilty of, Acts 12, 19. And yet, despite the seriousness of the issue, Peter did not consult with a bunch of modern Christians who would have urgently advised that he turn himself in, citing as they did so with tears in their eyes, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. <laughs> right? That, that didn't happen. Um, uh, 2.16, quote, Who honored the royal dignity of King Saul more than David? And who was more uncooperative with Saul's tyranny and his tyrannical designs than David? Had Romans 13 been written at that time, what would we say, would we say David honored it? Right? 
And there are two reasons why we rip Romans 13 out of context when we say it just means we should do whatever the civil magistrate tells us to do. Two reasons that Pastor Wilson lists here. There are lots and lots of reasons, but I think these are two of the really good ones. Uh, we discussed this thoroughly when we went through uh, Gary DeMar's book, God and Government. See it up here on the shelf behind me. Um, and uh, we did that about two years ago. And it was extremely pertinent then because of all the, the, the COVID tyranny, right? And the face diapers and the jabs and all the, the stuff that happened during COVID. Well, thankfully, a lot of Christians woke up and started realizing, oh, wait, so Romans 13 up until now seemed to be telling us not to resist the civil government. But what if we've just been misunderstanding that the whole time? Because look what the founders did. And they first faced worse persecution, like they faced less persecution than we did. You know? um, so what, what gives? And as it turns out, yeah, we over the last century or so have really contorted Romans 13. And that's just the way the civil government wants it. Page 217 starts describing some of the reasons why Romans 13 doesn't mean what you think it meant. First, quote, first, this, the magistrate here is assumed to be operating to enforce a moral order that is not inverted. The assumption here of the kind of civil government you should be obeying is one that is moral, that is a servant of God for your good and for the good of righteousness. When he stops doing that, he's lost his authority right? 218, he gives a second reason, quote, second, the magistrate is called the servant of God three times in this passage, right? It couldn't be more obvious. The civil government is supposed to be the servant of God. If a father becomes tyrannical and tells his children to sin or else, does that father still have his authority? No. He's, he gave up that authority when he decided to go against God, right? But so long as you're in Christ, operating according to the law, you have authority and you deserve respect. And that's what Romans 13 is getting at here. Um, I'm going to wrap up with one last quote and then pass it off to Jake. Um, there's a lot more in this chapter, so you should definitely check this out. If you're looking for more in-depth, let's say you've just recently gotten into an online debate or maybe an in-person debate, hopefully, hopefully the latter. Um, and you uh, need some facts. Well, this chapter's a great reference to go to. Page 219, quote, Christian patience is all about patience as we await deliverance, which means that it knows which direction to look, to long, to pray, and to labor. This means that one of our central tasks as culturally engaged Christians is the task of advancing the blessings of liberty, real liberty, and not the pot-smoking kind. <laughs> End quote. So great chapter, lots more in there, but I'm out of time. I'm over time. Sorry, Jake. I'll pass it to you. Uh, yeah, uh, this chapter is chapter 17, uh, which is speaking about preaching and prayer. And he does mention pastors a little bit, as Bruce and I would norm would probably talk about when talking about preaching. But um, he doesn't do it as often as I was thinking he might have. But uh, this is a good one to start out with in talking about preaching. Uh, Pastor Wilson on page uh, 222 says, But if God grants us a reformation in preaching, and if we start planting, planting churches of word and sacrament in the power of the Holy Spirit, then the dike not being, need not be repealed. It will just give away. Uh, hmm. He was speaking about uh, that separation of church and state 
divide uh, the dike, as he, he was talking about. He was saying that if we focus on planting good sacramental churches and we, and we focus on um, making sure that they're good churches, then that separation of church and state doesn't need to be fought. It just will just go away. If we have churches that understand truth, the, the, um, well, again, speaking about, um, this is the devil working in our current, current area in, in the world. So if we create churches that will say no, right, the devil will just run away. If we have churches that are willing to actually speak the truth, all of the issues in the world today will disappear, will go away. Uh, moving on, uh, on page 224, Pastor Wilson again is speaking about preachers and pastors. Uh, and he says, I quite agree that we should not expect every pastor to be up to speed on every last issue. There are only so many hours in the day. But at the same time, effective pastoral care requires a man to be an informed generalist. Not to decide is to decide. And not to counsel one way is to counsel another. Um, end quote. He is speaking about the fact that pastors will be counseling people. And if they say, no, this area of, of, uh, this area of life doesn't, God doesn't speak to, or, you know, there, there isn't enough information on this area, you are still counseling a person. You're not, you're not saying, oh, I'm going to defer counseling to a different time or, or not, or I'm not going to counsel them in this thing. You are still counseling them. You are going to train people whether you think like it or not. Just yeah, how is it you've now done? trained them to say, "Oh, there's parts of life that the Bible doesn't apply to." Right, oh, right. I can do this on my own without the Bible right. and make up my own ideas. Oh, and, mm -hmm. and my pastor says so. Huh, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, pastor Wilson moves on to speak about uh, economics in a, in a small little bit, um, saying that. Uh, that even though he's, he's talked about economics a lot, but he's more specifically in this quote, speaking about the generalness, and it doesn't have to be specific. And I'll explain a little bit more when I finish the quote. Uh, again, this is on page 224, but it moves also into page 225. Uh, the quote says, Debasing the currency is one of the oldest, dishonest, and navish tricks in the book. And the age of computers has simply changed how it is done. Back in the day, brigands and highwaymen would take your purse by waving a cutlass under your nose. And a modern mugger might use a Glock, about which the prophet Isaiah says nothing. This should not leave us scratching our heads about the lawfulness of armed robbery. End quote. So the very fact that, um, speaking about, you know, oh, the, the Bible doesn't talk to us about how to use a Glock or if someone robs you with a Glock, it's not robbery because the Bible doesn't speak about a Glock. No, no, we, we use it more generally and we understand the, um, we understand that it's still stealing, still robbing. Um, so we can't say that, oh, the Bible doesn't speak to this issue. Well, maybe it does. It's just more general than, than what you're thinking. Uh, moving on page 226. 
Pastor Wilson says, we cannot get people back to a love for God by means of sentimentalist kitten hugging. We do it by declaring the wrath to come and the staggering provision that God has made for ugly and defiant sinners against what that day of wrath. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. End quote. These people are sinners. What are sinners? Sinners are destroyers of God's word. They are they are attacking God. Sinners hate God. Right? We should not love them for being sinners. We should love them for being human beings created in the image of God that we want to save, that we want them to stop sinning. They shouldn't stay in sin. Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. That we understand that sin is not good. If our, if our country is sinning, that's not good. That mm-hmm. should change. Immediately. Uh, page 227, to wrap, the, uh, yeah, to wrap this chapter up, um, Pastor Wilson says, There truly are evil men in the world, and this is what imprecatory psalms are meant for. <laughs> this, is why we have ma- this is why we have them. There are men who will grin for the camera over the prospect of beheading Christian children, and our response to them should be to pray the words of God back to him. And he continues on with saying the Psalms, uh, Psalm 58, 6. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Again, that was Psalm 58, 6. Um, Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness, thou shalt find none. Psalm 10, 15. So there are very, uh, very strong worded Psalms and because God hates sinners. God hates sin. Uh, and that is the end of what I have for chapter 17. Yeah. So chapter 19, we're kind of both going to discuss through this in the remaining four minutes we have here. Um, but, you know, this is the last chapter in the book. And he just spent 18 chapters discussing what mere Christendom looks like, discussing um, people who are attacking the idea of Amir Christendom or, or Christian nationalism or whatever you want to call it. Um, and all of that can be overwhelming. There's a lot of work to be done. The resistance seems insurmountable <laughs> at times, right? Yes, yes, we know that uh, God will overcome. Yes, we, we know hypothetically these things, but also it's a little bit easier. The easy thing is to spiritualize it away. There's a reason so many people do that today. It's because it's easy. It's much, much easier to just focus on your own personal sanctification. Not saying it's easy in and of itself. It's easier than the alternative. Focusing on just your own heart and thinking that's all that matters in life. Maybe even your family, maybe your church, but not boiling that out into all of culture. That's easier than the alternative. But the alternative is what we must do. The alternative is what we're called to do. And so in this chapter, um, Pastor Wilson lays out his case for why we should be optimistic Christians, why we should believe we're going to succeed. And how many reasons does he give here, Jake? He he said six. Six. Thank you. Yeah. And Um, I actually, I have those as quotes. 
You not do. Not all six, but certain ones, yes. Maybe, yeah, maybe we'll pull out a few of those. They're all yes. so potent, so mm-hmm. good. There's so many, you know, inspirational um, inspirational quotes in here. I'll tell you what, Jake. Can I, you can take yours, and then I'll just throw in, whenever you get to three, I can throw in a quick quote from three that I really yes. like. Okay. I have one in four. All right, great. I, I didn't want to go too specific in case, yep. like, you know. If, again, we encourage everybody to get the book, read the book. Yeah. So I wanted to give a brief talking about jumping around to different different ones so that you didn't get everything. So then go get the book yourself. Yep. So I'll start with uh, number one. I'll start with the first one. Uh, and to point this out again, um, Pastor Wilson gives six reasons why we should be confident and upbeat optimists. That is the, little, that is the word he used, upbeat optimist. Um, <laughs> And he says on page 240, first, Christians have an eschatological orientation. It is possible for us to know in the midst of all our challenges and conflicts that the word of the prophets was given for our encouragement and hope and has made uh, unto us, unto our God, kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth, Revelation 5.10. So again, vitally important, it's been given to us, uh, the scriptures telling us all throughout that we should be hopeful, that we should be confident, standing steadfast. Go ahead, Bruce. Um, Yeah, I'll move on to three, which he's talking about. um, He's talking about historical understanding of where we are right now, watching our country crumble around us and how, you know, how it's still possible for us to say God is winning. (laughs) Right. Um, And he has this really good quote, uh, 241. It's really short, but he says, idolaters are always discouraged when the idol falls, but Christians serve the living God of heaven. And the huge, you know, huge parallel there is, We've idolized America as we knew it, thinking America in the 60s or America in the 40s or America in the 20s or whatever era you want to put it in. That's what we're shooting for, as opposed to no, what we're shooting for is the biblical definition of a Christian society, (laughs) right? What we're not shooting for is a frozen chunk of time in a specific country. We're shooting for a biblical Christianized world. That's the goal. Um, uh, to set up this next quote, I thought I would give Bruce and I love this analogy and we, we both kind of came up with it, but, um, how the three eschatology, how the three, um, eschatology walk into a vault. Yeah. Um, I think, no, cause this sets up this next uh, quote very, very well. Um, the last one, and I'll just go with the last one. The last one is post-millennialism. They walk into this vault and they say, they walk into this armory and they say, wow, we have a lot of weapons at our disposal. And they, they're walking through. They see this curtain. They open up this curtain. They're like, wow, we have a nuclear bomb. God's word gives us all of this, all of this power. And then they're like, well, what is what does the enemy have to work with? And and uh, this analogy we came up with is like, oh, they just have pitchforks. They're just coming at us with pitchforks. And we have all of this armor, all of this stuff. Why are we afraid? Um, so in setup, uh, 
this next um, this next quote really goes deep with that. Uh, page two forty two, um, and this is the fourth reason that we should be hopeful. Um, Doug, uh, Pastor Wilson says, fourth, in the long run, stupidity doesn't work. Stupidity never works. If it worked, it wouldn't be stupidity. Lady Thatcher reminder, reminded us that socialism doesn't work because sooner or later you run out of people's money. A lot of the lunacy we see around us has to be subsidized in order to function at all, and the subsidies are starting to run out. We are in, we are in, the po- in that point of the cartoon where Wiley Coyote is standing 10 feet off the lip of the cliff, holding the acme anvil of uh, deficit spending, but just an instant before he looks down. <laughs> End quote. And it's like, yep. yeah, they, they're, what they're doing doesn't work. It's stupidity. Yep. And there's a reason it's stupidity. Yeah. Um, I thought I would end with this quote unless you have any other, Bruce. Nope. We are over time. I, so. think, this is, I think this is perfect. I, I know we're, we're a little bit over, but I think this is perfect in, in setting everything up. Um, on page 246, uh, Pastor Wilson says, I believe that we will be delivered. I believe that we will see a black swan revival. But whether we are delivered or not, it doesn't matter. Faithfulness can be found in uh, apparent defeat as easily as in victory. Deliverance is given to faithful men, and faithful men are those who care about certain things more than deliverance. End quote. Yep, that's tremendous. But we hope you've enjoyed our study through this book. Uh, Stay tuned, because next week we're starting a new one. And if you want to see what that is before next week, you'll have to uh, follow us on all our social media pages because that's where we post our calendar at the beginning of every month outlining all the episodes we have planned for that month. So follow us at TRD Show on pretty much every platform there is. So uh, you can do that or go to our website, trdshow.net, and click any of the links there to go to all the platform links we have already set up for you. So uh, thanks, everyone. We're looking forward to seeing you on uh, Monday and not Friday because we don't have a discussion topic this week. We get a break. So have a great (laughs) rest of your weekend and have a wonderful Lord's Day, everyone. And we'll see you on Monday. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord.